Well, you may be surprised to find that we are in the last two verses of chapter 1 of Philippians. A little whoop whoop there. We uh, finally have made our way pretty much uh, to the end of chapter 1. But, you know, it never ceases to amaze me at how much, how rich God's Word is and how much there is to be found there. It's like uh, digging around in the sand or in the treasure, you know, uh, for treasure. But you know those little... Uh, metal detectors you see those sometimes people particularly out on the beach or something and they're kind of waving those around over the sand and they come up with all kinds of little treasures and i think god's word is much that way and and the more time that we spend in it it's like you know kind of waving that little uh metal detector over god's word and just finding spiritual nuggets you know and and you find something and you you think that's it, and you keep looking, and you find something else, and you find something else. And so we could probably go back and start at the beginning of ch- uh, chapter 1 and uh, reveal more things again than what we've already covered in this pass of chapter 1. But we won't do that. We will, uh, we will carry on and uh, continue with our study as we wrap up chapter 1 here. But it's important even before we go into these last two verses that we just take a a brief glance back at the previous verses because uh, Paul continues his thought here a bit as he says in in effect that we should not be afraid of our opponents, of our spiritual opponents, those who would stand against us and stand against the gospel for which we stand, that by our not being afraid, is evidence of their inevitable destruction, that they're going to lose the battle, that the gospel will prevail, and that we win. And that should be something for us to rejoice in. And so he says that the fact that we are not afraid of the opponents of the gospel is evidence of their destruction and of our salvation, and that our salvation obviously is of God. And so he goes on then, and we pick up this morning uh, with verse 29 as he continues that thought there. And he says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. I think we continue to struggle here in the United States with this easy believism that one of the downsides of being so prosperous in our nation and being so blessed is that we have adopted a Christianity that is really all about the good and nothing about the not so good. And so much so that... uh, There are many uh, sects of teaching in our country uh, that is often referred to as a prosperity gospel. That, you know, you, you come to know Jesus and all of your wishes will come true. That to be a Christian means that uh, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and God's going to bless you. And the more that you give to me as the the pastor or the leader of this ministry, the more you give to me and my ministry, the more God's going to bless you. And, 
and you're never going to be sick. And if you are sick, it's your fault because you don't have enough faith. And if you don't have money, it's your fault because you didn't give enough to my ministry. And I just don't see it. I don't honestly don't see how anybody could see it. I'm just, this is not what God's word teaches us. But unfortunately, there are many who adopt that, and, and many of us just don't give much thought to it at all because we rock along in this life, in this country, where we are so blessed. We have so many blessings that uh, Christianity to us has just become easy. It's just become easy. And so we tend to think of Christianity as just the easy, easy life. Everything is going my way. But one of the characteristics of a life lived in a manner worthy of the gospel, remember we talked about that last week, the life lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. Well, one of the characteristics of that life lived in a manner worthy of the gospel is suffering for the truth of the gospel. You see, we look at Christianity or we look at this good life, this life that's to be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel. And we, and we say, well, you know, we should live our lives in such a way that other people see our lives and, you know, and they, they bless God, they glorify God because they see, you know, how we are at peace and how we love people and, and how we're generous and we're compassionate and we're understanding and, and all those things. And that's true. There's nothing untrue about any of that, but what, what that is, in effect, is kind of one side of a coin. And what we tend not to do is to flip over that coin and look at the other side. So we spend all of our time concentrating on all of what I would think of as kind of the good stuff about living this life in a manner worthy of the gospel. But we are anemic in many ways, because we are only concentrating on that one side of the coin, and we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us, to build us, to make us stronger, because we tend to want to shun and, and put aside those things that are less pleasing. He says here that for Christ's sake, God provides His children with both faith and suffering. And, and let's just be honest, we all are willing to accept the salvation part. We're all willing to accept the faith part. But he makes it very clear here. The Apostle Paul, in writing this, makes this very clear here and in other places as we will see that he defines Christianity not simply as salvation. Now, most of us probably would like that and would prefer that and have probably adopted that mentality, that definition of Christianity, is that it's simply all about me getting saved, me getting redeemed, me getting protected from hell. That's Christianity. But he makes it clear in this passage and many others that God has provided for His children both faith and suffering. I've entitled today's message, 
salvation, and suffering. I want to draw to your attention to the first few words there in verse 29. He says, For it has been granted. Now, you might look at that, and particularly if you read the rest of this and, and find that a, a bit unusual, it seems kind of strange that he would choose those words because to me, given what follows, it would almost seem like it should say something like, for it has been allowed, you know, God has allowed this to happen, or, you know, you're going to endure this. It almost seems a little out of place, because this sounds positive, doesn't it? Doesn't this sound positive? You've been granted something? You know, you've been uh, granted money, you've been granted health, you've been granted some sort of award. You know, that sounds like a positive thing, but this phrase has been granted actually comes from the same root of the word where we get grace. Interesting, isn't it? He has, we have been granted. And so this word in its purest meaning means to give or to render unto or to grant graciously, liberally. For it has been granted to you. There's something positive about this. There's, there's something positive to follow here. In His sovereign grace... God not only gave believers the gift of faith, but also the privilege, note that word, privilege. He's given us not only the faith to believe in Him, He's given us not only the faith to have salvation, but He has given us the privilege to suffer for His sake. Now, that's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? The privilege to suffer for His sake. You know, oftentimes that's how we are identified with a group, with a cause. Is the lengths to which we are willing to go for that cause. You know, I think about early in the civil rights movement, people were marching and people were protesting and they were doing various things to, to have their voice heard. And in some instances, it even became popular to be arrested. And people would sometimes go out of their way to get arrested because they felt like that that was a badge of honor. That if you had been involved in the civil rights movement and you'd never been arrested, then you weren't really one of the team. You hadn't gone far enough. You needed to do more. Because anything less than doing enough to get arrested just simply wasn't enough. And so in normal circumstances, we would think of getting arrested as being a bad thing. But in those circumstances, people had construed it to be something of a badge of honor that you obviously were dedicated and committed enough that you were willing to go to such great lengths that you would even get arrested for the cause. And so he says here that we 
have been granted the privilege to suffer for the cause of Christ. Two of my sons, Stephen and Jonathan, a couple of times over the years have done something called a Spartan race. Any of y'all familiar with the Spartan race? The Spartan race is stupid. No, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. The people who do the Spartan race are stupid. <laughs> Only because, I mean, you wouldn't believe, I mean, this, this is something that you do. You pay to do it. You choose to do it. And they put their bodies through just incredible things. Uh, and they're not all the same. They vary and stuff. But I remember one time they went and they had this thing, this obstacle course. That's what it is. Like this huge obstacle course. And they go through this one place and they have like these wires and stuff hanging down that have electrical charge, like electricity running through them. And you have to kind of just fight your way through. You can't not touch them. You know, it's not like you can kind of weave your way. You have to touch them. And so you just have to find a way to kind of grit your teeth and just endure it, and you get through. And then they have these things where you run through there, and these things are banging up against you and knocking you around, and you have to try to continue to stand up and walk and run to get through there. It's a timed event. They have you run and crawl through mud. They have you climb over things and jump over things and jump off of things. Well, my point here is that they choose to do this. And when they get done, many of them come out and they're, they're beat up, they're skin up, they're bleeding, they've got mud all over them. Some, some of the people, you can't even recognize them. they got mud in their hair. They just, they're a mess. And you know what they have? A smile. A smile. Because they have endured the suffering. And they see these scrapes and these cuts and these bruises as badges of honor. And those who finish the Spartan race are proud. They are proud. I see people sometimes, I'm driving around and I see a sticker on their car. I see the bumper sticker. I see the tag. I see people wearing t-shirts. I'm a Spartan. I endured. As Paul said, I fought the fight. I ran the race. And there's something to be proud of in the suffering. And so the first thing that believers have been granted for Christ's sake is a saving faith to believe in Him. And through that faith comes the salvation that Paul mentioned in verse 28 that uh, I mentioned earlier, that when we are not afraid of our opponents, that our courage, our faith, is evidence of their destruction and our salvation that comes from God. And so in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul explains in more detail what has been granted to the believer in this salvation. He says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, 
Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's what He's done for us. That's what He's done in this salvation that He's done for us. He's demonstrated His grace. He has raised us up from our spiritual death and has seated us with Christ in heavenly places, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's the salvation that we have. That's the inheritance that we have. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is a gift of God. He has granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should believe. All that is in salvation, including the grace and the faith, is a gift granted by God. The Apostle John proclaims in his gospel account, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. He has granted unto us salvation. But He says that He has granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, not only believe in Him, but there is something else that He has granted to us. That we not only believe in Him, but we also suffer for His sake. And so we find that this, what He has granted us in salvation is certainly something that we can embrace and we can rejoice. But the second thing that He has granted to us, it doesn't seem quite as appealing at least not at first glance. Nevertheless, this concept of suffering is an integral part of this Christian life. He has redeemed us not only to proclaim His goodness, but He has redeemed us that we might suffer for His sake. Paul Reminded young Timothy, in 2 Timothy, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let's look at that again. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Anybody here like want to live godly in Christ Jesus? You know, we, we all probably want that. We want to live godly in Christ Jesus. We're willing to accept that and embrace that and, and, and look at God's Word and say, I want to do these things so that I can live a godly life in Christ Jesus. But he makes it very clear. It's not ambiguous in any way. Indeed. In fact, he says there, indeed, emphatically, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, and if that is you, then this... This refers to you. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
I feel such a burning passion in me lately to somehow, in some small measure, try to do my part to prepare the church, not just Westside, but the church, capital C, the church of Christ for things to come. Because it is easy for us to sit here in our country where for so long we have been safe. Our rights have protected us. And we've been able to sit back and relax and kind of enjoy the blessings of Christianity. But I fear that a day is coming. Maybe not in my lifetime, maybe not in yours. I don't know. I'm not making some prophetic statement here. I'm just saying that we have got to grapple with and come to terms with the reality that Christianity is not just a feel-good experience. It certainly wasn't for Jesus. And He calls us to be like Him in His sufferings. And so He says that we should not only believe in Him, but He has granted unto us that we should suffer for His sake. And I wonder many times, even for myself, certainly for others who claim to be a Christian, that when persecution comes, true persecution, I'm not talking about things that create inconvenience or things that we hear about on the news that maybe get our dander up and we get frustrated and upset, but it's over there somewhere and it's not really affecting us directly. But I'm talking about when true persecution comes and it affects us directly. That it challenges our faith, it challenges our commitment in our daily lives of whether we are going to take a stand for Christ. Are we going to be willing to continue to call upon the name of Jesus? Are we going to continue to be willing to say, I am a Christ follower, I'm a Jesus follower? Are we going to be willing to continue to do that in the face of true persecution? So Paul says to Timothy, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Not only Paul, but during his earthly ministry, Jesus made it clear to those who truly sought to follow Him. He said, You will be hated by all because of My name. But it is the one who endures to the end who will be saved. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the slave like his master. And so he reinforces the reality here that if we are truly going to be a Christ follower, if we are really truly going to embrace this life of a Christian that not the one that we've conjured up in our minds, not the one that we maybe heard on YouTube, but the one that is clearly defined in the Word of God. If we are going to embrace that and we are going to live that life of a Christ follower, a Jesus follower, then we can know that we will be hated 
for His sake, that we will be hated because of His name. But He says it is enough that we should be like Him. He goes on, the Lord Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, there's kind of those three segments there. If anyone wishes to come after me, it's it's a clarification, a, a defining there. Is there anyone, anyone who wishes to come after me? If there is, If there is anyone who wishes to come after me, the first thing that you must do is that you must deny yourself. And he could just stop there because that would pretty much eliminate most people. If you want to come after me, if you want to follow me, then the first thing you have to do is to deny yourself. Hello? 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 Anybody out there? Anybody left? You see, if he said, if you want to truly be a follower of me, then first you must deny yourself, that would pretty much eliminate most people. But he says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. And if you're willing to do that, then the next thing is that you must take up my cross. You must take up your cross you must take up the suffering by which i suffer be like your teacher be like your master take up your cross and follow in my footsteps and be like me the suffering for christ's sake is not really to be seen as a burden but as a privilege You see, because as I said before, this suffering that we might endure for Christ's sake is a a sign, it is evidence that we belong to Jesus. It is our skint knees, it's our bruises, our scrapes that allow us to rejoice and to celebrate and with pride to say, I am a follower of Jesus. Jesus acknowledges the reality of inevitable suffering for His sake. But He also emphasizes that a life in Christ is the only path to peace. So many of us, I I think, want peace. And certainly we want salvation But there's only one way, there's only one path to that peace, to that salvation. The Lord Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so on the one hand, we see that He is calling us to this life to endure suffering for His sake. And that seems so troubling. It seems so stressful. 
But he says, in effect, that if you will, if you will deny yourself, if you will take up your cross, if you will follow me, if you're willing to suffer for my sake, then you will learn from me and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, though it may seem burdensome, though it may seem heavy and stressful, the truth is, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, because when we take upon ourselves our cross, Jesus carries it for us. When we think we must endure suffering, Jesus endures it for us. He's already done that. He's already endured our suffering. He's already paid the price. And so the point here is that to suffer for Christ is not only a command, but it's a privilege. Suffering for our trust in Jesus Suffering for our belief in His death and resurrection. Suffering for our trust in redemption and salvation through Jesus is all evidence that we belong to Him. In chapter 3 of Philippians, just a little later on, Paul makes it clear that in light of the immense eternal riches Believers receive in Christ. In light of all that is to come our way, in light of our salvation, in light of our eternity in heaven. You know, there are days, there are situations when that gets me through. When things seem so overwhelming here in this world, and I get discouraged and I get down, and I think about heaven. I think about my inheritance that waits for me. I think about what it may be like. I can't even imagine. That sounds like a good song, doesn't it? I can only imagine what it might be like to be in heaven. And there are times that is that that gets me through. But Paul, in chapter 3 of Philippians, says... In light of all of that, in light of all that we receive through salvation, the eternal riches that we as believers receive in Christ, that there is nothing on this earth that we forsake for Him that can truly be considered a sacrifice. What we gain is so much better that nothing we give up in this world could be considered a sacrifice. And so he says in chapter 3 of Philippians, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. 
not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that He has granted to me. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. And not just that, not only to believe, not just the power of His resurrection, but that I may also share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You see, as I said before, this is not an isolated case that we're looking at this morning. But Paul and the Lord Jesus Himself reinforce this concept that Christianity is not just about all the feel-good stuff. It's one side of the coin, but the other side is that we have been granted the privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ. Suffering for Christ's sake is not a burden, but rather a high honor that He graciously bestows on His faithful saints. You know, we could just sit back in our Christian recliners and just ride out this life. But if we're Spartans, like Paul, and we fight the good fight, and we run the race, how much more rewarding will those words be when Jesus says, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I think if I ran the Spartan race, you know, I would kind of start out there at the beginning, and then I'd kind of sneak around to the side, and I'd probably kind of trot along, or maybe not trot, I might walk swiftly along the side of the course. And then right at the very end, I would kind of jump back into the course to get my T-shirt. And then I could wear that t-shirt and say, I'm a Spartan. But am I? Really? Haven't I in some way diminished the value of the moniker, the term of being a Spartan? Haven't I somehow cheapened the t-shirt? I mean, instead of wearing it with pride, I, I, I think really when it all came down to it, I would probably be ashamed to wear that shirt because I would realize that I'm really not a Spartan. I really didn't do what was necessary to be called a Spartan. And I think about what it's like in our life as Christians. Do we jump in and say, okay, Jesus, save me so I don't have to go to hell. And now I'm going to step over here and I'm just going to kind of walk along in life, along beside the course. There's a lot of other people over here who are fighting the fight, who are running the race, who are getting beat up, who are getting attacked, who are enduring who have taken up their cross and who are suffering for the sake of Christ. But I'm just going to kind of walk along over here. But when my day comes, I'm going to jump back in. I'm going to get my t-shirt. I'm going to heaven. But I don't really want to run the race. Paul reminds us that there is a heavenly inheritance. I'm sorry. But Peter echoes Paul's admonition 
He says, greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials so that the proof of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's it going to be like for you on that day? Will you be able to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant? Will you know that you've run the race, that you've fought the good fight? Paul reminds his readers, he says, When you suffer for the Lord's sake, you are experiencing the same conflict which you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Oh, Paul, perhaps above anyone, suffered much opposition at the hands of the enemies of the gospel. You may remember that when he wrote this letter to the Philippian church, he was in prison in Rome for his faith. It's a mandate. It's a command. It's a privilege of the church to stand to share, to strive, and to suffer for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ. He grants us, He grants us the gift of salvation and the privilege of suffering for His sake. Let's pray. Father, you are good. You are a good, good Father. You do provide for us. You meet our needs and you comfort us and, and you do all of those wonderful things. Father, I feel like sometimes in my own life that I'm willing to take and take and take. And then I grumble and complain when, when it's not enough or I think it's not enough or I don't get my way or things don't go the way I think they should. And then I grumble and complain. Have mercy on me. Forgive me for my selfishness. Father, I suspect there are others here like me who just take and take and take. and They're willing to, to take all the good. Squeeze it dry. But they're not willing to flip over the coin except the other part of this Christian life that says that you've called us not only to believe, but to suffer for the sake of Christ. And Father, you go so far as to call it a privilege. Help us to understand the depths of that. Help us to, to try to understand like how is it that we can rejoice in suffering. Help us to prepare our hearts and our minds for that, Father, for I, I'm confident that a day is coming when your people called by your name will be called upon to suffer for your sake. Father, if it's us, will we be ready? Will we have the spiritual strength and the fortitude, the courage to stand and endure the persecution with our heads held high that we might have the privilege to suffer for the sake of Christ.
Grant us that, Lord Jesus. Amen.